Hello and welcome to our first ever Buy Better podcast. We're really excited to be bringing you some content through your ears uh, and we're hoping to do this on a regular basis so please do stay in the loop and subscribe to our podcast. Um, it'll be on SoundCloud but it'll also be in the iTunes library so check it out there in those two places. Um, so let's get on with what we've got coming up today. So today we're going to be chatting with Charlotte, who is the founder of Know the Origin, an ethical clothing brand. Uh, and we're just going to dive straight in. We're going to be chatting all about her, her own journey to ethical fashion, about how she got involved, and about some key things that she sees as coming up in the ethical fashion world. So let's dive right in. Cool. So I'm here in Pret in Birmingham with Charlotte. Charlotte, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yeah, so um, I'm Charlotte. I started Know the Origin, which is a fair trade and organic fashion label. So we work with producers all around India to basically make men's and women's wear essentials. Amazing. And how did you get into ethical fashion in yeah. the first place? What was, was there a moment that sparked your interest? Mm. Was it a journey? Um, so it's been a bit of a journey. So I, I studied at London College of Fashion buying and merchandising, which is basically how you create a product from a drawing to a shop floor. So I knew that I wanted to be a buyer and kind of travel around the world and create product. But I, I'd actually never really looked at what was behind the product that we were creating which sounds really stupid when you say you're going to be a buyer and that's what you're going to do. The industry is quite disconnected from the way that our products are actually made. And so in my second year of uni, the Rana Plaza factory collapsed in Bangladesh. Um, and I think I'd heard of the term of sweatshop and I obviously was aware that it was happening, but I didn't have this connection of like how it looks to my life and what I'm doing. And I think when the factory collapsed, that was such an evident example of like we really can't ignore this anymore. And I had this girl at uni who, she was like one of my really good friends, she's vegan, um, like a raging vegan. And she basically just showed me a few books and like we started exploring it and got a bit obsessed with like the ethics behind it and like looking into it more and more. And so we started like the first sustainability society at University of the Arts and started putting on events and ethical fashion shows and just doing like anything we could to like learn more about it and I think for my dissertation for my final year of uni decided to travel around Bangladesh and basically I looked at certifications how the fashion industry would become ethical and if it ever would so I visited around Bangladesh over a couple of trips around 150 different produce groups and um, from like cotton farmers to ginners, spinners, dyers, kind of final factories and just actually looked at like the impact of how our clothes are made and began to build this best practice supply chain and kind of began to be able to differentiate the difference between a factory that was showing you hey, we've got a certificate, we've ticked these boxes, and actually people who wanted to create clothing in a way that was changing people's lives and impacting the environment in a positive way. And then I came back to the UK, decided I wanted to set up a brand, knew that I wanted it to be focused around transparency. So like 61% of brands don't actually know who made their clothes and 93% have no idea where their fabrics come from. So I think 
because I'd met all these incredible people, just I think really realised like everybody deserves to be valued and like recognised in their role and in their like job in creating our products. So decided that's kind of where the name like Nodi Origin came out of was like how can we create something where we actually like know the impact of it. So that was about a year and a half ago. We started selling last November, um, and I guess since then it's been like a journey of evolving, creating more products, building like a new website, building another website, like just constantly like when you finally feel like, oh, maybe you finished something, it's just like the next thing. But I think that's really exciting. It's kind of a always new challenges. And we just opened over Christmas our first pop-up shop in Shoreditch. So we had like every night we had different events on like sustainability and that was really exciting to bring together like a lot of different brands that were transparent. And now we're kind of looking at, okay, how do we have like more impact in this space? So from April, we're launching like a transparency marketplace. So you'll be able to see every single brand on there. You'll be able to see like the full supply chain of where it comes from. Um, so that's keeping us nice and busy. <laughs> but yeah, that's kind of what we're up to. Um, in ethical fashion. Maybe a little bit about um, what goes into each product. So you talked about the different stages. I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit yeah. more about what those stages are and what happens. Maybe how um, people and the planet can be vulnerable in each other's mm. stages as well. Yeah. Um, so I basically break it down for clothing just into six stages. There are more than that, but this is like kind of overview. I don't want to bore you all, otherwise we'll just be here for hours talking about it. So the first stage I'd say is the farm stage. So our t-shirts are actually grown from a plant in the ground, which a surprising amount of people don't think about. And I hadn't thought about actually until I until I actually went out to Bangladesh. And yeah, so um, at this stage it's probably like one of the most vulnerable stages for people. There is an incredible amount of injustice that happens in cotton farming. So we as a brand are organic because we recognise that the farmers that basically plant the cotton, it uses a different process that means that there aren't thousands of chemicals um, sprayed. And there was a documentary done called The True Cost Film that showed quite clearly the negative impacts on people at this stage. They basically said that in Punjab, people um, like children were being born in that village with disabilities as a result of the chemicals being sprayed on the farms in that area. And it's like, I think everything that we do like has an impact on the world and on people in some way or another. So I think um, for us, that's why organic is so important. That's the cotton stage. There's also a huge amount of like debt in terms of like um, GM and the like monopolisation of GM has meant that a lot of farmers 
think that you know by switching to GM that they'll grow more, they'll grow it faster, and they will, but only for two or three years. And then the soil will become more dependent on these seeds, and the companies raise up the prices, and then. Um, in India alone, they've said that in the last 16 years has been the largest wave of recorded suicides in history with Indian cotton farmers. One person every 30 seconds has died as a result of like committing suicide because of debt that has been created through this. So I think there's a lot of issues in, in cotton and in the growth and just I think the amount of like water intensity as well that's used to even grow cotton, they say it's like 2,700 litres of water to grow one single cotton t-shirt. So you can imagine like actually the impact not just on people but also on the environment is massive. And then you've got the process of ginning which is where usually women um, in the places that I've been to sit in cotton and it's basically brought to the factory and then it has to be sifted through so they use your hands to separate the seed from the cotton so it's quite a time-consuming process and then it goes through hundreds of different machines in the factory to basically clean it to like strip out any like nasties from it so obviously it's a plant there's bugs there's all sorts in there um, and then it goes through a ridiculous amount to flatten it out and to separate it into a single fibre piece and then it begins to be like knitted so these are like not the kind of knitting that your grandma does it's like huge industrial machines that literally I think they look like UFOs and there's like hundreds of them and they all pull the single fibres into thread but like big balls of it. In this stages especially I'm going to talk about India again because that's where, that's where I've been the most so there's I think in this stage there's an incredible amount of injustice in terms of human trafficking. So Stop the Traffic recently did a report uh, into the um, Smangali scheme and this was basically where women were being taken from, or girls sorry, were being taken between the age of like 18 to 24 out of rural communities and told by people, you know, we'll provide you jobs in these mills, like um, knitting, ginning and so they're, t they're taken and they said they'll, we'll do a three year apprenticeship scheme we'll teach you and then at the end you'll be given a set amount of money and for families you know they're like amazing our child is going to be taught like they're going to be given a, a wage and also receive some kind of protection in a sense until then they go back and get married or do whatever they would like to do so basically in these mills they say that in this one area in um, Tamil Nadu that over 200,000 girls have been trafficked through this scheme and that's just like one single study that they did in this one area and it's like a huge problem of like slavery in the production of our fabrics and yeah so these women are moved around so many different factories during that time that they're never actually paid because they're like, oh, you haven't stayed here long enough, or you haven't... And there's been cases, like, documented of, like, sexual, physical assaults in these factories. People that would, like... There was a, a case study that I read of, like, a 13-year-old girl that had, like, a kilogram of cotton, like, pumped out of her stomach because she wasn't given a mask. Like, some really horrendous stuff kind of going on at that stage. So I think if you want to learn more about that, like head to Stop the Traffic. They have a lot of resources and kind of things that you can do to campaign against that.
process, um, which is probably the most like environmentally ruining stage. So um, there's an incredible amount of chemicals that go into making fabrics really nice colours. And so in the UK we have this, it's like a law called the Deadly Dozen, and that's 12 chemicals that are outright banned from the production and manufacture in the UK because they create, they cause like cancers, jaundice, and our clothes are being produced in places that don't have these laws and protections. So often some of the colours that are used, you can't actually trace what is in these dyes. And you know, I think there's more awareness now about like what you put in your body really affects it. And it's like a movement towards like clean eating, like vegetarian, vegan, but actually like we're forgetting that the largest organ on our body is our skin and we're putting clothes on it that contains some of the world's most deadly chemicals. So um, it's kind of the impact of the environment to people, but then also the environment of then, after that dyeing is done, that water then has to go somewhere. So often it's disposed of in a way that's not great, like leaked into local rivers or seas that often contaminate local water sources which people are then drinking or relying on for like cattle or is going into the ground and affecting soil, meaning that the crops that they're growing are not growing properly. So there's huge impacts at that stage. Um, and then there's the final end factory stage, which obviously you've heard about like sweatshops and just some of the most horrendous conditions, people not being paid, again, like a lot of human trafficking in this part of the supply chain. So in summary, fashion is a hot mess. Um, but also like, I guess there is a lot of stuff that needs changing and like a lot of things that are negative but there are also some people out there that are doing some amazing things and really creating products in a different way like how we've built our supply chain is at every single stage we've really thought okay what is happening in the industry what's the normal and how can we create a best practice version of that yeah. so like for example for dyeing we use a factory that is zero waste so it uses none of the like heavy chemicals in the dyeing process but then also the water is all recycled and then there's like a tiny sludge that comes out at the end and then that's turned into bricks yeah. so it's like every single part of the process and I, I so the water goes through this filtration system that's very expensive but worth doing <laughs> um, and I drank the water at the end of it and like so I, I'm like I'm sure that it's good like um, yeah so yeah that's what we're doing and you talked a little bit about your time in India there yeah. Is there like a particular moment during your time out there that really sticks out to you, either for good reasons or for bad reasons? Yeah. So I think one of the things that really stuck with me was so on our on my second trip we went out to Bangladesh and I spent quite a lot of time with the survivors of the Rana Plaza factory collapse and just spent a few days like hearing stories. And that was honestly one of the most like harrowing um, things to hear, like that um, a lot of women my age that are working in factories, hearing their stories of being trapped in the rubble and like kind of people that had been trapped for like four days and going back to dig out their friends and their co-workers. And I think just hearing that companies still hadn't paid them 
compensation and you think Rana Plaza happened in a year where the fashion industry was the most profitable it's ever been and then people are still like suffering the consequences of that and yeah a lot of people that were involved in the factory collapse basically had like post-traumatic stress as a result of it so are actually struggling to get jobs in other factories and as a result are now below the poverty line in terms of like unable to find jobs so it's like we've all moved on four years later but actually for some people they're still living in the reality of really struggling as a result of it and I think um just I, I think from that trip just really learning that like every single thing we do has an impact on someone and the world like whether we choose to accept it or see it or not it does and whether that's you know using plastics or how we recycle or what clothes we buy or where we put our time and money like it all makes a difference so I think that's the biggest thing that I took away from that trip and I think yeah, I guess a more positive one. Um, <laughs> I feel like I'm very negative today, which is not my vibe. <laughs> was I think going um, to the factory that we work with, Mila Factory, and just seeing our clothing being made for the first time, and like seeing like the pride that people had making it, and like just learning so much from the tailors that have been doing this for 20 years and are like exceptional at their job and I think just yeah seeing a huge pile of know the origin stuff and being like what was a crazy idea a year ago is now a real thing that was a pretty groovy moment <laughs>
it's basically, I believe, one of the quickest ways that we can change the world and solve a lot of the like global goals that people are going for, all heavily linked to fashion or the way that our clothes and products are made. So I think I just see it as a really exciting like tool for changing the world. Fantastic. Charlotte, thanks so much for speaking to us. Yeah, no worries. <laughs>